subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back once again for the final entry in our Kawasaki month. Oh, man. April is already over for us? That's crazy. It's like when we're recording this, it's like the month just started. <laughs> I see I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So no, yeah, no, we're... seriously though. Seriously though, I I had the thought today. I'm like, oh we're doing mo-, or yesterday, I'm like, oh we're doing monster seafood wars. And then I'm like, wait, it's only the start of April for us. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we Like I you're... actually gaslit myself into believing April was almost over. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird because, like, we we haven't been, like, doubling up. Like, we've been recording these, like, weekly. Yeah. So, it's weird to think four weeks have passed. Like, for me, at least, (laughs) like, that has been kind of the surprising point is it's been four weeks since we started. Yeah, it's terrifying how fast time is moving. It is, especially when you're me and you have 100,000. So... I'm going to AMA or All Monsters Attack for Kaiju Ramen, right? As a representative. Yeah. That is in less than a month now. Oh, Jesus. Uh, my first trip to Chicago is in less than a month. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, s- there's so little time left. I still have, a, like, a. a decent amount to save up because i'm going to get as many signatures as i can Mm -hmm. but like it's crazy in Mm -hmm. in in a month from now like a month to the day i will be on my last day in chicago for two months until i go back for g fest Mm. so yeah it's it's crazy and we're not even like April, like this means we're almost halfway through the year. Summer is almost upon us. And uh, I feel like I have so uh, much. Well, I guess for you, it's, it's about to be winter, right? Yeah. For oh, me, well, it's about to be least. summer. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's so weird. It's so weird. This, this year is flying by and I just yeah, I'm not I, a fan personally. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. For maybe it's because now I'm like I my best friend today, uh as of this recording, he quite literally we were talking and he was like, Well, the reason why I get to do stuff I'm planning to do stuff with this person is because you never have time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wait, what? And I I had to think about it. On my days off, I'm either working on my house, working on my car, working for Kaiju Ramen, working for the podcast, or on my days that I'm not off, I'm at work. 
Mm-hmm. And when I'm not doing those things, I'm working on my scripts for my upcoming projects or my actual upcoming projects or my articles. And like, I'm never not busy. And when I'm not doing those, I'm like getting myself ready or I'm like at the gym. Uh, hey, welcome it's to funny. The club, so, man. so, so funny thing today, I was listening to our Kaiju Mono episode because it just dropped. That shows you how far in advance we're recording. Yeah. And in it, you're like, well, you should hit the gym. And here we are not even at the end of the month. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am hitting the gym. So you can't, you can't be cooler than me, Rex. My legs well, have been destroyed and my arms, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I remember getting that call from you. I was in the gym myself and I just get this call from an absolute madman whose like first gym session is like the most intense leg day of his life. And he's just screaming on the phone. <laughs> so, so when I'm at the gym... And I've discovered why I never wanted to go to the gym like during normal business hours. (laughs) When I work out, I need to scream and cuss as much as possible or I will not get through it. Like I have to be obnoxious and loud and be overdramatic or I will not function. (laughs) It will not work. And you got to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so if anybody ever wants like my best friend was having the hardest time not laughing as i'm screaming cuss words <laughs> as i'm trying to like deadlift or like do push-ups and i'm like <laughs> i i just i need my own in-house gym that's what i need if i'm ever rich i'm going to have a room just for known as the gym room because <laughs> Because I, I, I don't want to be publicly embarrassed like that. That's why I work out at 1 a.m. That's why you and I can work out at the same time. <laughs> so there's my gym story. Oh, man. <laughs> Prior to this recording, you said that I you were the most sane person in this call. And I feel like I just proved it a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the audience would just know immediately that I'm right because you, you, um, you have a few screws loose. More than I'm, a few, in fact. I'm actually so I this isn't am an re- argument. No, I'm, well, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> but if it wasn't for my few screws loose and my insanity, because I'm hyped up on caffeine, sleep deprived, and low on energy, okay. so all I have is these 200 milligram caffeinated drinks that I drink two to three of during these recordings. So I'm wired on 600 milligrams of caffeination. You should really uh, cut back. (laughs) So I try to keep it at two. I do. I legitimately do. But there are some nights where that don't, that don't fly, bro. That don't fly. I got, I got to get the third one in and then I'm going to feel weird because because I'm on roommate, uh, roommate podcasting schedule. That means I'm going to be going from the 8 a.m. I woke up yesterday now. Mm-hmm. When I get off here, I'm going to go get my donuts because I always get seven donuts. And I eat them. And then I have to pick up my best friend, drive him to work, 
Then I drive to my work. I'll try and take a nap in the power, in, in our office. But if I can't take a nap, I just stay awake until uh, I get off work at mm. 1 a.m. Yeah. So I'm going to be going from 8 a.m. yesterday to 1, 1 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> that's horrible. No, it's, that, fun. it's fun. That's almost a 48-hour day. Well, it's fun. It's really not. But you know what? It's okay. You want to know why it's okay? I do so much in that time frame. Like watching Tokusatsu? I I actually did watch some Tokusatsu in this time frame. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. I don't know if I I can believe it. I know, right? It's usually I never watch Tokusatsu. Yeah, you're always the fake fan here. Well, Mr. Fake Fan, Mr. I'm the Fake Fan, what tokusatsu did you watch then? Oh, well, I'm I'm glad you asked because I I am nearing the end of Kamen Rider Black. I'm in the last quarter of the show and I've I watched the second uh short film as well, you know. Nice. So I'm getting near the end. So uh, with this with this you will have seen Kamen Rider yeah, Common Writer Zio, Common Writer J, Shin, Common Writer Shin Prologue, Common Writer the First, Common Writer the Next, and Common Writer Black, right? Uh, yeah, as well as Kuga, Fies, Exaid, Build, Amazons, and, and Black Sun, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah. And hopefully Shin Kamen Rider here in like a month please, or two. Please, God, please. Uh, so yeah, I mean Shin Kamen Rider's coming out, at least stateside. I know you're hoping, and like I, I want please, you to... Please, please, God. <laughs> like it, because here's the thing. If Shin Kamen Rider comes out, and we can both see it, we're well, going to do an episode. An episode. <laughs> we're, we're doing an episode. I'm gonna have I'm I know I'm gonna have things to talk about with the movie. <laughs> and so if we do an episode, it's gonna be my first common writer experience. Period. And I think it I think it'll be interesting, you know, you've got me who's seen the entirety of the original common writer. Mm-hmm. And we've got you who've seen nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean So I I'm... think that'll be interesting. Now, to say that, to that point, I, I don't want people thinking that I'm – I know nothing – like, I know nothing about Common Rider. I know a little bit. I know the idea and the premise of it, but I don't – I've never watched it, so I have nothing to compare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are things that I want to watch that are movies, but when it comes to the shows, I'm dead set on – I'm going to start with 71, then watch V3, and then just go from there. But I have to wait for those to be released on DVD because I don't really want to stream. Well, speaking of Kamen Rider V3, that's another show that I recently just started. Oh, you started that one? Yeah. (laughs) So that means since... So you watched Black... V3, and there was another... Oh, and Common Rider. So, from the ones you've started, can you rank those? Because those are all the Showa era. Like, um, best best start, best starting. 
what you mean like the best like first couple few episodes or yes. like yes oh for the first few episodes black going up to just for that first episode of black that's going straight to the top that is a great first episode mm-hmm. it might honestly be my favorite first episode of a writer show that just gets gets everything it just gets going it's exciting and yeah love that first episode some of the ones after that take me a bit of getting in took me a bit of getting into but like that first episode of black absolute banger mm-hmm. uh Carmen right and then for like Carmen Rider episode one that I, I think that's a banger that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. um but you know that's sort of introducing you to you know what is Carmen Rider right um and it's got the style of the first, it's it's in the first 13 episodes so it's got a bit of that darker ish tone whereas some like post episode 14 the show gets a bit lighter Mm-hmm. Uh, although it does still have some, it certainly has some dark and even outright violent episodes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, the, the the first episode of like the final arc in Kamen Rider is pretty brutal, honestly. Hmm. Um. Yeah. V free. V free is interesting because it's the feel of the. Sh- First two episodes, I'm currently, I've only watched the first four episodes of V3 so far, mm-hmm. but um, the first two episodes were originally just going to be episodes 98 and 100 of Kamen Rider. Hell, there was a whole celebration for Kamen Rider hitting 100 episodes at one point, I believe. And so far, V3, Kamen Rider V3 kind of feels like, so you have your $60, like, triple a video game right and then you've got your 30 dollar dlc that's kind that's like it's all like original side story type deal um sequel side story type deal where you've got you've got like familiar things but you've also got some new things and i'm digging it (laughs) okay uh I don't know if that comparison made much sense no, to you since no, you don't play video no, games. No, I'm, I am so <laughs> lost. I am so lost. Okay. Let, let me let me just say what you said and let me translate it to English. <laughs> so Common Rider V3 is like a Disney Plus Marvel show to the Marvel movie. Did I get that right? Did I get that right? Uh, I don't know. I don't watch those shows. Oh, God. Uh, I don't watch those shows. <laughs> hang on. Let me think. Look, it, it's, it's, it's essentially... It's, it's essentially more 71, but with, like, a, a different cast and some of the same music, some different music, you know? So, uh... It's like the MonsterVerse comic books to the MonsterVerse movies. I'm <laughs> okay. Let me just ask it's, you it's this: just, it's just Common Rider. It's it's Common Rider seventy one, but it's like fifty episodes shorter, and it's like got like a new, a different main writer. That know? sounds like Kikaida Zero One to me. I haven't seen that, but I'm gonna say probably a lot like that. Yes. Okay. So what you're saying is 
I shouldn't even open and put in the disc for Kamen Rider V3 until I've watched all of Kamen Rider. I mean, you can. You can do that, but it... It kind of does... The way it starts... Yeah, I kind of expect you to at least know a few things from the original Kamen Rider. Like, you gotta know, like, who Kamen Rider Ichigo and Nigo are. You gotta know who... uh. Mr. Tachibana is, you gotta know what the Rider Kid cause is, and yeah. But otherwise, you could probably get into it, uh, like, even without seeing 71. Gotcha. And uh, from what I've heard, at least, Kamen Rider V3 is, like, one of the only direct sequels when it comes to TV shows. Yeah. I mean, the only writer show that's like a direct like main writer show that's a direct sequel that has like the same protagonist i believe is black rx so gotcha okay so i mean i once i get through ultraman i plan on jumping on common writer it's either going to be common writer or super sentai i don't know because i'll be honest common writer interests me more but yeah. Super Sentai has more to cover because when I do Sentai, I'm also going to be doing Power Rangers. Yeah. Hmm. So besides the common writers of Rex, what else have you watched? Well, I just recently started the Tomie series. Okay, that's uh, was that started by Shimizu or? Uh, no, Takashi Shimizu did the fourth movie i believe okay which i have not seen yet gotcha i've i've only seen the first two movies mm-hmm. tomie and then the tomie another face uh compilation movie mm-hmm. um yeah these they, it's been decent so far <laughs> see i've heard that so when it comes to like then late 90s and early 2000s i've heard your three main j-horror series are Ring, Juan, and Tomie. Tomie, yeah. And Tomie, Tomie is on my list. I just I haven't gotten around to purchasing them because they have all been released in the states, to my understanding. Um. Yeah, I believe all of them have an official release. So eventually, I need to get on that, but I've been waiting to see if they get re-released on Blu-ray. But how how have they been? I mean, I bet the compilation movie was a little boring. But I mean, I mean, it's a compilation movie of like a a, a TV show, like a short TV show. So, oh. it was, so it's not like a it's not like using footage from the previous movie. It's <laughs> not pulling a Jew on. No, no, thankfully not. Okay, good. It did kind of feel similar to Jew on, but. It you know it's free like short uh, horror story so it's gonna feel a little bit like Juan. Gotcha. Although I believe it technically came first. <laughs> maybe Juan took inspiration from it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, they've been o- they've been okay so far. The first one is very slow, but it's it's not the greatest film. But the lead actress who plays Tomie does deliver a pretty a pretty good performance for her limited screen time mm-hmm. the second film is is kind of just okay um 
TV J horror. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really have too much else to say on it. the The last, the last short is a bit goofy. <laughs> it's got like not Koji Yakusho in an eye patch, mm-hmm. and it's pretty funny. Gotcha. Okay. Would you say Tomie is better or worse than the first? The strictly speaking, the first films. You got Ring uh, of like Juon, Ring and Juon. Juon, yeah, and Tomie. Which which is the best and which is the worst? Well, I, I'll say I'll say this. Um, both Tomie films are a lot more enjoyable than Juon the Curse Two. So, <sighs> good work. <laughs> I mean, it's not really much of a competition, but, you know, good work. Good work, Tomie. Um, yeah, in comparison to the... Um, I don't know. I'd probably say it's it's probably the weakest starting mm-hmm. for me. Because, I mean, you got Ring, which is an absolute banger. And then you got... Oh, well, I guess... The first Ring movie is a 95 TV film. Um, We're not counting that. We're talking, like, main franchise stuff. I mean, I mean, well, then should should we just not count Tommy A and Other Face, then? <laughs> I mean, if we could just talk strictly first films. Well, uh, well yeah, if we're talking that, then yeah, obviously Ring is going to be better than the original Tommy A, because Ring is just an absolute classic. I'll say, Tommy A did stylistically remind me a bit of ring mm-hmm. in in how it's shot and edited okay kind of subtle um, kind of like not not too crazy just kind of slow yeah okay yeah 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 i don't know i don't think it was as well done but mm-hmm. it it definitely reminded me a lot of ring in that regard gotcha um compared to the first oh are we counting Juon the curse or Juon the grudge as our quote unquote first for Juon? I mean, I would count the grudge because that's to me, that's the first one because they screwed up the releases in America. But if mm-hmm. you want to do the curse, like that's cool. Mm-hmm. If if we're going off the grudge, Juon the grudge, I'd probably say I like, I like that one more than the first Tomie. Mm-hmm. If we're doing the curse, it's about 50, 50, I'd say. Okay. Because Juon the Curse, Juon the Curse is good. It just, I feel like, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't start off super strong, but it ends off. The last like section or two of Juon the Curse are really good. I think. Okay. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I I I I'm I'm really curious on the Tomie franchise. I feel like mm-hmm. that's kind of the unspoken. Uh, yeah, of, of the big three, like everybody in in at least talking about referring referencing J horror, I feel like I hear Ring and Juwan mostly. Yeah, I mean to be fair, Tommy A, to my knowledge, has never gotten like an American remake. So, <laughs> <laughs> for, so for for better or worse, I'm gonna say for probably for better. Um, yeah, no, knowing I recently discovered that there's like a an American remake of um, Jure or Don't Look Up, like the film that got Nakata Ring. And I'm like, this exists. Yeah, I Wonderful. feel like I know about that one. There's, and isn't it named something kind of really weird? 
Uh, it's just called Don't Look Up, because um, that's like the American DVD release of the original. Gotcha. I know there was one that got an American remake that's like completely retitled. And... Uh, I don't know what that film is. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tomie is also, to be fair, more known in like, the character at least is more known in like manga circles because of the creator Junji Ito. Mm-hmm. Because it, Tommy is like one of his most famous works, and I'm I'm currently reading through the manga. I'm like almost halfway through. Mm-hmm. It's good, it's good. Hmm. So besides all of that, have you watched anything? Not really. I watched I watched one kai, a kaiju film that you were like telling me to watch, but I'm not. I don't know if you want if you want to reveal it yet or not. I don't I don't know which one is it. The one that I watched. I'm going to assume it's someone. I mean, it's not really because... kaiju, though. I mean, I did watch Minoru Kawasaki's uh, most recent uh, film to be released, Stateside Super Legend God Hikosa. Oh, that's what we're covering today? I don't know that yet. Oh. Well, I watched it. It's literally 70 minutes long. Nice. Yeah. So I always appreciate a short film. Yeah, I... <laughs> Okay, so here I I have to admit something. I fell asleep after thirty minutes a week ago watching it. Yeah, but the story is so like shallow that I picked it up at the thirty minute mark tonight, <laughs> and I like I was like, oh, I know everything that's going on. It's it <laughs> it's it's more of a like henshin than a kaiju. But mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't awful, but I was like, this is kind of boring. There's not a lot that happens in this movie. Damn. But I also found out that Minoru Kawasaki has done a few films that, that I forgot to mention in our last one that uh, appeared on one of the sites that I looked up today. Oh. He did a movie called Donkey Man. Wonderful. Never heard of it. <laughs> so, okay, when you when you look it up, it, it's a 2020 film. On the poster, I'm pretty sure Moonlight Mask makes a, an appearance in it. Oh, really? Yes. It's a, apparently a tribute to Gecko Common, which I'm pretty sure is Moonlight Mask, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, now I'm so interested in it because... I that was the first like major Tokusatsu Hero television show. There was one before it if I remember correctly, but Moonlight Mask was like the first major Tokusatsu television show and the fact that Kawasaki brought him back I thought was really cool. And now I really want to watch it, but it's yet to be released. Damn, first he brings Planet Prince back or I guess did this come first? Uh, Is this twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? This came first twenty twenty, and then he brought back ah. Planet Prince in twenty twenty one. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, which Damn. is really cool. Which, but this begs the question: Why is it so? SRS Cinema released Super Legend God Hikosa, Monster Seafood Wars, and that's it from the Kawasaki as of recently. 
Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they because Super Legend God Hikosa is not a kaiju movie. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a henshin movie. Why is why haven't they picked up Donkey Man or President Tanuki or Planet Prince twenty twenty one? Like I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Mm. I have so many questions now. And if they're not picking it up, why is Synapse, Synapse Films not picked anything up? Or like somebody, like get these movies over here. I want to watch them. Yeah. My my thirst for Kawasaki is is very, very much in need. We need to talk mm-hmm. about Kawasaki. Well, well, I have good news because I, I thought that was what we were doing today. That's right. It is the last. I did mention that it's the last episode of Kawasaki Month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were exactly. we covering? Well, so we've covered Kaiju Mono, mm-hmm. Calamari Wrestler, The World Sinks Except Japan, and we got one more film. Do you think it might be? Could there perhaps be any like? Kaiju or Squid or anything related to the previous films in there, you think? Hmm. Let's see. It has to be released so I can watch it. Mm-hmm. It's. I don't think it'd be Executive Koala. I don't think I. you or I would want to cover Monster X Strikes Back before we cover the X from Outer Space. So I mm-hmm. don't think it's that one. Um... The Rug Cop, definitely not. And you just said you didn't watch Super Legend God Hikosa, so that just leaves... I wonder what it leaves. Could we be covering Monster Seafood Wars? Ding, ding, ding. Did I get it right? No, we're covering Kaiju Mono again. Okay. Yes, we're obviously doing Monster Seafood Wars. Yeah, absolutely mongrel. Sweet. And the the listeners once again get to enjoy this stupid thing we do. Yeah. And then they get to hear us acknowledge that it's a stupid thing. It's just, it's the running gag. It's the running gag. Yeah. You sound like you hate all of that. <laughs> So, yes, we are covering what, up until, like, a month ago, was the most recent Minoru Kawasaki film released in the United States, Monster Seafood Wars, which was released June 6th of 2020. hmm After being delayed because of COVID-19. So, usually we... I... I so I've been asking you, Rex, where you want to start, whether you wanted to do production or just talk about the movie and throne production. How do you want to do our final episode of Kawasaki Month? Well, let's let's first start with what is Monster Seafood Wars, I think. And I think this is a very interesting story because Monster Seafood Wars, unlike previous Kawasaki films, is not meant to be a parody yeah and in fact it's it's i mean it's still got com- comedic elements yes. throughout but that's but, because it's inspired by something that's more comedic mm-hmm. well for uh, un- for our unaware listeners monster seafood wars is based on a 
um, an old pitch for A.G. Tsuburaya's first kaiju movie, um, which later evolved into Godzilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, was this the Project G title? I believe so. From what I from what I understand, it's Project G. Gotcha. Because I I don't think uh, the material that I don't think any like the material I read on the film specifies exactly what it is, mm-hmm. uh, which one it is. But going off previous knowledge, it would make it makes most sense to me for it to be Project G, right? Because you know that one had the octopus <laughs> and. For for people who don't know, Project G was the first draft, the first concept of of Toho's yeah. big budget monster movie, and which later evolved into Godzilla. Yes, and it was by Eiji Tsuburaya who wanted to do a giant octopus that appears in Tokyo Bay, makes landfall, uh, eventually climbs Mount Fuji. Correct. Something like that? <laughs> and the way that the military defeats the monster is by... With a vinegar gun. Yes. And Kawasaki liked that story. Kawasaki grew up with, with Showa uh, kaiju films. Kawasaki yeah. loves giant monster movies. And he was inspired by that story in its comedic elements because that's something... Kawasaki does is comedic stuff. Yeah. That inspired him. As we found out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That inspired him to make this. But there's more to the inspiration than just that film or that that concept. Do you know the other two that I'm referring to? Um not specifically. I might I think I might know one. It's just I may not have written it down in my notes. Okay. So in an interview conducted with Minoru Kawasaki uh, that's included as a bonus feature on the Blu-ray, in it, the question is asked what inspired him to do this this film. And Mm -hmm. Kawasaki recalled back to he was able to, like, be on set for some of the production of Ultraman Dyna. And... Specifically, the episodes where Akio Josoji directed. Ah. And Akio Josoji, as as you've hopefully listened, was actually one of the producers on most of Kawasaki's earlier films. He worked on Calamari Wrestler. He worked on World Sinks Except Japan. And I think he even worked on Kaiju Mono. Um, mm. I think he had passed away before uh he definitely he definitely passed away before um yeah before this film so he passed away in 2006 so world sinks except japan was one of his last uh films that he had worked on in air quotes with minoru kawasaki he was an executive producer so that means his his influence is very minimal and mm-hmm. Monster Sea Food Wars was meant to be kind of a love letter to Jisoji, um, because Jisoji heavily influenced Kawasaki, uh, and he was just a good friend of Kawasaki's. So he wanted to make something that was inspired by his work 
and that would end up being Monster Seafood Wars, as seen with the heavy Ultraman influences throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was when Kawasaki was growing up in college, he would do eight millimeter monster movies. Yeah. Um, that's where Den Ace was born. And for uh, Monster Seafood Wars, the first time he came up with this idea at the time was 46 years prior when he made an eight millimeter film titled uh, Futo which Mm -hmm. was about giant sea animals attacking Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And that was the birth of the concept of monster seafood wars. And then from there, he wanted to do a love letter for Jisoji, which included the Ultraman elements, and then took from the Project G story by Eiju Tsuburaya, who does receive credit in the film. Yeah. And from those three came Monster Seafood Wars. So uh, I think it's very interesting that this film has three inspirations and not just uh, like based off of a book that riffs a movie or just, you know, trying to market off of Shin Godzilla or just be a sequel to a movie that came out like 40 years prior. I think it's really interesting how Monster Seafood Wars was this culmination of a few things that Kawasaki felt were very close to him. Hmm. So do we want to get started on the plot or Yeah, we can we can go ahead and jump into to Monster Seafood Wars. Alrighty. So at the beginning of the film, we're, it's established that we're being told the story in flashback. Yeah. So the whole idea is we're watching this news broadcast, which I'm during this film, I started to pick up that Kawasaki likes doing these news segments. That's something he does in his films. Like that's, that is one of the like, Kawasaki cliches, I guess you could put it. Yeah. I mean, he did it a decent bit during um, Calamari Wrestler, from what I recall. He did it in Calamari Wrestler. He did it in Kaiju Mono. Um, He did, didn't he? mm -hmm. And there's even segments in... Well, I don't think there's a ton of segments, but I know in uh, The World Sinks Except Japan, there is... Uh, at least one scene where there's a forecast of foreigners. And even mm-hmm. in uh, Super Legend God Hikoza, there is uh, like a five minute segment about just advertisements on television. Mm. So it, it's one of Kawasaki's like staples for his films. Not only do you have the absurdity of, of his stories, but you also have stuff like that that's just like absolutely kawasaki no matter what yeah and Mm -hmm. intercut with these these uh broadcasts are the the actual story story. yes (laughs) which is interesting because we're we're told a little bit but we're not told the story that we see on screen like we get some we get some like background and then we're told 
the main details, and then we're told more background, and then yeah, details. I mean they use it they use it for a fair bit of exposition mm-hmm. um, for the most part, but then later on they kind of just show use it to show the outside world's like response to the monsters, right? Which I don't know how to feel about that, to be honest. It, it, I feel like these new segments are most prevalent in this film compared to any of his other works that I've seen. Yeah, when we're just strictly talking about Monster Seafood, uh, Monster Seafood Wars, Kaiju Mono. The Kawasaki uh, month selection. <laughs> yes. It's, this is the first time it's like really, really relevant to the plot. In the rest of the films, it's kind of used as just kind of this reactionary mm-hmm. element for the events going on. Yeah. Whereas in this film, Kawasaki tries to change it up initially. It almost feels like a like mystery. Like you have your investigator that's like, it all started one night when I was sitting at my desk when I got the phone call. Yeah. Like, that's how it feels. It feels at the beginning, it's it, like... It's, it starts off interesting enough with that in its structure, but at a certain point, it kind of just feels to me like the like just a, an easy excuse to put to insert exposition where right. he needs it. Right, and, and it becomes what is typical in Kawasaki films, which is just that reactionary, like... Yeah, which... That whole section in the middle, I feel, goes on for too long. <laughs> the part where they have, like, the scientist and all that, right? And everyone, like, eating, like, the the um, the, food. the food. Yes. Yeah. That, it, that's, like, a good, like, 15, 20-minute stretch of them in the middle of a movie where it it has nothing to do with anything else that's, like, going on outside of, like, one bit where we see our main characters eating the food. Right. And it's like, I'm fine with showing like the world in your story. It's just, it feel, it kind of felt like padding to me. Yeah. (laughs) So this film is an hour and 36 minutes long. If I remember correctly. Uh, I don't know what cut you were watching. My cut was about 83 minutes long. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's an hour and 26 minutes hour 23 for me hour 23 that sounds yeah. about right so yeah and and in comparison and i'm only comparing it to this because this is another recent kawasaki film with i think around the same budget super legend got hikosa and i'm happy i watched this uh today as well because i feel like i can kind of put it mm-hmm. into perspective because you know, it's Kawasaki modern, and it's not with a budget like Kaiju Mono had somehow. Yeah. And Hikosa only lasts 70 minutes. And mm-hmm. even then, the film feels like it kind of lingers for a little too long. Um, yeah. Specifically in the middle. Something that Monster Seafood Wars suffers from. The issue is Monster Seafood Wars has plenty you could cut. And you could probably get it down to 65, 70 minutes easily. Oh, it, it feels like a it feels like a roughly like 50 minute, 50, 60 minute script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is weird because compared to uh The World Sinks Except Japan, which I believe if I remember right, he wrote in 
Oh no, it was it was Calamari wrestler. He wrote that script in two weeks, mm-hmm. and that that's a solid like it. Nothing really feels wasted. Yeah, um, like yeah, that feels like mo- pretty much about about the right runtime. Uh, Calamari wrestler, I'd say. Whereas Monster Seafood Wars took six months to write. Oh wow! Oh my! <laughs> Granted. He was pulling from from his own short film and inspiration from Ultraman and Akio Soji and Project G and, you know, other uh, mm-hmm. I mean, to say that there I mean, maybe he was also busy with other projects at around the same time as well. This is true. He was probably well, no, because this was 2019. Uh, so, I mean, Donkey Man. But that was the only project besides uh, Monster Seafood Wars. Mm. So nothing out of the ordinary, really, because he produces one to two films a year. Mm. Um, so, I mean, unless you also want to include his influences from Johnny Sacco, which we'll get into later, and probably influences from Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster or Space Amoeba, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like this should have been a six-month-long script. Yeah, um, even the story is kind of the the love story in this is not even as remotely interesting as Calamari Wrestler, even though Calamari Wrestler has a clear like conflict with how its love story is written. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, it seems like it's a trope in and of itself. Kawasaki movies always seemingly having a romance plot. And I feel like that's been the weakest link of all, one of the weakest links in all his movies so far. Yes, I, I feel like, I, I don't know if it's Kawasaki attempting to have people be able to relate to the absurdity that's going on or what, but like the world sinks except Japan. The The love plot is the worst part of that movie. Yeah, Calamari Wrestler, as we establish at the end of of discussing that plot, it it falls apart because at the end they like the twist at the end just makes it <laughs> it, it it makes that whole thing weird. It, it makes it's like what what is this love plot then? Like what? what? I mean, you also ju- the, the the girlfriend also just is kind of a bit unlikable, <laughs> right? Because she just jumps around. And it's like what? And then you have uh, Kaiju Mono, which also has a problem establishing the love connection because they yeah. just become a thing. There's no development. Yeah. Um, and at the end, it's just kind of written that she's happy with how he is as himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it you bring up a great point, Rex, that this the love plot for all of these films is the weakest. And in this film, it takes up way too much, I think, as well. Mm. It, it becomes the driving factor of the rest of the plot. Yeah, although I'll, I'll say this. It it didn't bug me as much in this film as it did to some, in some of his other films. Sure. I, it definitely bugged me more in Calamari Wrestler than this one. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's because Monster Seafood Wars had a lot more that just kind of bugged me Mm. (laughs) i mean we could jump back in i mean we kind of jumped we've been jumping around around. yeah Yeah. 
Um, we could kind of go back in and and I one of my uh, big... did we even get to the monsters yet? <laughs> no, no, that's the next thing we were that. <laughs> so following the flashback establishment, we get to the monsters. Like Kawasaki shows them within five minutes, I yeah. think. But yeah, roughly about five minutes. And in that, we get the Mothra larva sound effect. Yep, which was kind of nice. And we get established of our two of our three kaiju. Um, their yeah. names escape me. Uh, Takolo, which is the octopus, and Ikala, the squid. Okay. And Ika the... being Japanese for squid, Tako being octopus. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. But with that, like, they just kind of are there. And then it cuts mm-hmm. to what I was guessing was a GMK-inspired title sequence. Mm-hmm. With, like, the close-ups and, like, the, the images with the whole credits. And yeah. then we, we we cut back to to them fighting. And we get Showa Kaiju sounds, and we get explosion sounds, all from Toho Showa Kaiju films. But the Kaiju fight's so boring. They're just kind of waving yeah. their arms. They're kind of just ru- waving their arms and just bumping into each other with, like, the occasional little kick. Right. And they don't move like the, 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 the stage they're on, the buildings do not, there are no angle changes. Really? We, we get nothing mm. but what, what we're shown, which is them standing above this long, elongated building, just waving. And I just sat there thinking they're not even like, they don't even feel big. Hmm. They don't feel big. They're not being shot with the slowed footage. Granted, I did. I'm pretty sure they are. Are they? Sure they are. Or are they just kind of like slow? I don't know. I feel. I feel like the arms would wave around a lot faster if it wasn't slowed. (laughs) Maybe. Because it because it would look a lot floppier if it wasn't slowed down. I feel. I guess that does make sense. It'd be more like calamari wrestler. Yeah, but I did. I mean, what? I mean, the suits look pretty similar to Calum. I mean, it's basically the squid and octopus from Calamari Wrestler. They are, and I, in the interview that's provided on the disc for Monster Seafood Wars, it's revealed that it's in the style of Kigamuri. K-I-G-U. Oh, yeah, that's. That, I'm pretty sure that's basically just more or less like suitmation. It, it's suitmation, but it's it's a special type. It's Costume mm-hmm. characters more as a cosplay, and they're not supposed to be realistic. Mm-hmm. And I, that's Kawasaki's preferred method of suitmation, which is why we get the absurd animal series with mm-hmm. like President Tanuki, Calamari Wrestler, Goalkeeper Crab, and stuff like Monster Seafood Wars, where the suits are yeah. very not realistic. But that is the style they're going with. That's them trying to have fun. It's it's supposed to be more of a theatrical thing than a realistic thing. Mm. It's worth noting that I'm pretty sure the suit actors for the um the I know the squid um is definitely the same suit actor as in Calamari Wrestler, being Hurricane Rio, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure the octopus is the same one. As in Calamari Wrestler, I'm pretty sure. he The wrestler, right? Uh, the 
the octopus. I'm pretty sure it's the same suit actor, but I I'm pretty sure it is too. Fact check that. I know Hurricane Ryu was in it. Yeah. Which means when I go to see him at All Monsters Attack, I'm really tempted to have him sign Monster Seafood. Well, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really considering having him sign one of the Kawasaki films because <laughs> he was he played Dene, uh, Denes, he played Tamura, Kalanmari wrestler, Crab Goalkeeper, Gulala, yeah, Bemuras. Mm. So speaking I, speaking of Denes, uh, is cameo in um, uh, World Six uh, except Japan. Our, our third kaiju of the film, uh, the crab kaiju named Canilla, who appears a little later on, um, is played by uh, the actor, the actor who played the T Rex monster in uh, World Sinks Except Japan. Really? Did he play any other of the like costume characters for Kawasaki, or were those just his two credits? What like? Was he in any other Kawasaki yeah. films yeah. other than these? Uh, I don't believe so. He did. He did a bit of Kamen Rider, and I think Heisei Ultraman. I want to say. Gotcha. From what I recall. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure. His name is like. I, I, it's either Hiroyuki Taguchi or Yoko Taguchi. The translations were giving me slightly different names. Gotcha. <laughs> for gotcha. So going back uh, to, to the plot here, so with the introduction of two of our three kaiju, we get the introduction of Smat. Seafood, yes. or yeah, sea, it's seafood. The seafood monster attack team. team. Which is a clear reference to the monster attack team, Matt, from uh, Return of Ultraman, which yep. Akio Jisoji. Which we previously Saw something similar to that in um, Kawasaki's The World Sinks Except Japan. With, uh, was it, what was it? Was, it? It, was, it was something, it was like, Gat? Gat? Yeah, Gaijin. Uh, Gaijin attack team. I'm yes. Sure. Something like that. Which is another reference to Return of Ultraman, which Akio Josoji, I think, is most famous for. I feel like that that series was his bread and butter. I mean, didn't he only do like? Didn't he only write a couple episodes in that? But he actually directed. I'm, I'm pretty sure he directed Man a few episodes. I'm pretty sure he only wrote in in return. Or did maybe he did some cinematography? I'm pretty sure he only wrote in um, Return of Ultraman. Maybe I'm crazy, but because like I know he directed a fair few episodes of Ultraman and Seven. Hell, one of his episodes of Seven is literally banned. <laughs> Which is actually a really good episode, just saying. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, he. I guess he He was only a writer on one episode of Return of Ultraman. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was something like that. And, and then he went on to write for, like, Tiga and Dinah, I think, as well. He wrote, two ep- he wrote and directed two episodes of Tiga. He was directed one episode of Dinah. He directed two episodes of Ultra Q Dark Fantasy directed two episodes of Ultraman Max, and he oh. also directed uh, Ultra Q, the movie. He directed... I need to get back into Max. I need I need to watch more of that, actually. Likewise. <laughs> I need to watch all of them. The, uh, the series he directed most in was six episodes of Ultraman 66. He directed four episodes of Ultra 7. 
Mm-hmm. And and those episodes of Ultra Seven are some of the best of Ultra Seven. This is true. But going back to um, Monster Seafood Wars, essentially the our three main monsters are like I believe they were offerings that yes. the main, that our main character had. Yes, Utah, so that got stole that got. He got knocked over by our, by our antagonist, and that that man stole uh, the monsters, and also stole a type of serum that Yuta had made called Setup Z, not Setup X from Kaiju Mono. <laughs> yeah, we even we though have... it's essentially the same thing. It's the same or... thing. It, it's yeah, quite, yeah. <laughs> so the offerings disappear and like and then they turn into giant monsters literally like 30 seconds later yeah they they basically teleported yeah <laughs> it's 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 really jarring and it's really like okay we're the opening I, is... I, felt, I felt the whole movie kind of had sometimes jarring editing it did and like the opening is, I think the worst because it jumps, it it, yeah. it just jumps because after they arrive, then our main character goes to his house, either his house or his friend's apartment, whatever, and one, or, one or the other. That's when we're introduced to his friend, who we find out oh, is it was the, a dinosaur. It was like it was like the place where he was building the robot, right. Which we're gonna get to that robot because oh boy, <laughs> yeah, he's just casually building a robot in the city. Mm-hmm. So he goes to his best friend's place. He his best friend's like an ace hacker who knows all about technology. Uh, yeah. This is where we're introduced to the love plot because they're watching a childhood crush as she walks through the streets. And yeah, it's not creepy at all. I swear. No. No. <laughs> and then we're also introduced to what could have been the pro like an interesting problem for the story, which is because he created setup Z, uh mm. it Everyone thinks it's his fault right. for the monsters. And it, it his best friend's like, they're gonna blame you, you're gonna pay all the fines, your monsters, your problems, you like monsters, yeah. they're gonna blame you. Which is a really interesting idea. Like it could have been a clear my name story. Yeah. But I mean even get an a bit of an interrogation from Samat. Mm-hmm. Which is the following I'm scene. I was gonna say SMAT. <laughs> SMAT, yeah. But but isn't that the following scene? Like it goes from them yeah, talking about it to Boom, he's being in- interrogated by the leader of SMAT and his childhood crush. Yeah. And she just so happens to be a member of SMAT. Or, no, she's not even a member of SMAT yet. She just, like, it's in this, at the end of this scene, she just asks to join them. That's right, because they're just handing out SMAT badges left and right. Yeah, including to our main character, who is the main suspect for releasing the monsters. Yes. <laughs> but he he's tacked on as kind of like I mean he's kind of like under house arrest technically kind of but he's also like wanting to work with them mm-hmm. they don't trust him but they also like he wants to work with them so they let him work with them mm-hmm. and then we're we're kind of stuck in the base for like a solid 10 minutes 
Mm. And okay. And we're introduced to the third character in our love triangle, Hikoma. Who very obviously I think is our he looks like the villain to me. Like he just screams villainous to me. Um, who also so he likes the childhood crush, so there's that back and forth, and he's clearly the better looking person and yeah. isn't he's got good head. <laughs> <laughs> like he came on screen and I'm like, oh yep, main character immediately. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got the main character hair. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but here's the funny thing. He used to work with our main character in the science institution where Setup Z was created by both of them. And one of them works in hindsight like theories while one looks at foresight theories. Um, the foresight person being our main character as he goes by instinct. I get what you're saying, but that probably makes no sense to listeners. <laughs> That's how it's explained in the movie. Um, our- Hikama looks at like data and stuff, and I don't remember what um, what Yuta was looking at. Yuta looks at like the like past experiences and uh just like his gut maybe i i don't quite remember so i can't confirm what he he doesn't he ignores the facts and goes with what he thinks is right basically Hmm. which causes a back and forth between the two because one's very database while one's more i guess motive like he goes with emotions more than data. Yeah, basically they hate each other. They hate each other. And <laughs> and the the common love interest just makes it more problematic. Yeah. But this is where we're <laughs> also kind of introduced to the rest of the look of this movie which I, I I don't understand. So in the base everything's white and it's mm-hmm. very bland and not very detailed. Mhm. And I I started to notice something that I don't understand, and that is the introduction to the blur. For the rest of this movie, the background has this weird blur effect. I I don't know if you noticed it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I noted this was around the scene where I noticed it. It's it's literally because they're doing they're green screening it all. The or, rest or most of it. the rest of the film is basically green screened. Yeah, or they including do, the last kaiju fight of the yeah. film. Or they're doing this weird artificial blur with the actors on real sets. I don't know. No, no, it is 100%, like, it is 100% a green screen, because, like, whenever, like, so there's monitors on the base. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever a character is, like, standing in front of those monitors, you can see a tiny bit of the green screen. I feel like I know what you're talking about. It's like you can just like especially there's a shot where it's like the commander is talking and uh, Hikama is like blurred in the background mm-hmm. and like literally there's just a green haze around him. <laughs> oh, lovely! I know during the end fight the green screen really shows and it's awful. Yeah, it. Oh, they there there's some massive mistakes with the green screen in that end fight. Like, but we'll you get can to literally that. see where it cuts off. Yeah. At, in a couple shots but we'll get to that (laughs) we'll get to that yeah 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 so you know they're talking and they're trying to make their plan and this is where it's revealed that 
conventional weapons don't work, but they will work if we use vinegar cannons. <laughs> this is where Kawasaki took influence from Tsuburaya's story for the vinegar yeah. cannons and gives it to our antagonistic love interest. Yeah. So from there, the monsters appear again. Our two cephalopods where smats prepared they send in their forces which is four people and two army jeeps with vinegar cannons and they fire yeah. vinegar and like they're doing good and the the green screen's awful yeah it didn't help that like the cameras like the white balance for the camera is off the editing is and they not the greatest it feels kind of unmotivated a lot of the time and the the tentacles oh my god so the oh, effect the effect oh. is you have your guys driving around yeah and then you have the tentacles like green screened over mm -hmm. basically superimposed and, yeah and there's like not only is like the lighting not even trying to match up but also there's no shadow for the tentacles mm -hmm. at all and they just kind of float. <laughs> like, they go over the yeah. Jeep and they do nothing. There is no interaction. Yeah, it's... they don't match up with the camera movement. It it, it looks genuinely awful. <laughs> and nothing happens. Nothing mm. happens. They just kind of, they, they wave and, and they drive. And this goes on for like two to three minutes. Yeah, until they finally start shooting the vinegar cannons. And it's like... Oh, it's affecting the kaiju. And they even reuse footage from the first time the kai the two cephalopods appear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they they had like they could film for like a day. And unlike Kaiju Mono, where like they made original footage for everything, they had like they took like seven shots with this set, and those seven shots are everything we get in the movie. Mm-hmm. And if they needed an extra shot, they just reuse the the shot prior. Yeah, and then and then following this, our third kaiju, Canella the crab, appears with hetero sound effects. Yeah, and from there he cuts off the tentacles of our two cephalopods. Yeah, which they're cut off here but like they never look to be cut off at, at any other point in the film well i would guess they grew back i guess that that's <laughs> how cuz the i think it's the the octopus like gets all of his tentacles cut off besides his two feet oh they cut off at least like two to four, two to four at least this also creates the worst subplot in this movie but I want to get to that after we finish this scene. Okay. So he, the crab comes in, cuts the, the tentacles, and then they disappear, and we find out that our crab cannot be affected by the vinegar guns. Yeah, and, and he, like, destroys the jeeps, I guess. And <laughs> then they all go back into the ocean. Yeah, there was a brief freeway fight, but then they all left. Because they didn't have the budget for any more fighting. Yeah, essentially. And this is where the worst subplot of a Kawasaki film comes in. Mm -hmm. Seafood! 
Yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Now, granted, while watching this, I wrote in my notes I want seafood. Like, I looked mm. up and I was like, okay, when I get paid this week, I'm going to go get seafood because this is making me hungry for See, seafood. To be fair, I think I think the seafood element does apparently come from, like, the pitch for Project G or something. But it's but boring. A, it's boring. B, it just goes on for way too long. And so I think the idea was with the increased size, like it, it's it's that idea of if we can increase the size of these plants and these animals, then we can feed we the can world. We can solve world hunger. Right. Yeah. But they I mean, don't... that's the whole idea for what Setup Z is. But they don't address it. I, I mean, I will say there is one funny one gag at the end around it that I did think was pretty funny. Yes, at the end there is a funny gag. I do want to talk <laughs> about that. But like I don't know, it just it doesn't it feels it, it's commercialized. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't talk about like anything they do with it besides what happens when you commercialize it. Yeah. Getting down to even what social media influencers do. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm not against the film, you know, exploring, you know, the public reaction to things. I think that can be interesting in certain films. But here, it's it just feels like padding. It does. <laughs> Especially when it goes on for... It's it goes on for at least ten to fifteen minutes. Yes, which in a eighty minute film that's way too that's long. That's like that's a a good chunk of the runtime. Isn't that like twenty percent, almost a quarter of your runtime? Oh, uh, it's probably not far off. It's probably about like a sixth of a film, which is not good. That like the, that that. It slows the film so far down, and then you have added interviews and trying to give exposition on our characters and create this yeah and this like, tension. I was I was okay with the interview segments up until like this whole point where I realized this is all just either exposition or padding mm-hmm. <laughs> because our main plot just doesn't have enough to it to justify 80 minutes of runtime. It doesn't. So we have to, so we have to we have to just find some way to make it longer. Right. And and I'm just going to kind of jump ahead here when I the plot of this movie. If if we take out all the subplots and the padding, the plot of this movie is there is this inventor who creates a a thing called setup z that can make things grow three of his offerings are stolen along with his formula to make them grow they attack the city a defense force for it is made known as smat they fight the monsters they have to come up with a solution yeah and at the end they get the help of a giant robot to finish them off yeah. That's the plot of this movie. Yeah. Like, 
there's nothing else. It, it goes from they develop a way to fight the monster to they it, get a robot. It's essentially just like the plot is essentially just like one ep- one like episode of like a mecha toku show essentially. Yes. <laughs> you you could cut if you cut out the subplots, you could make this a twenty minute episode, mm-hmm. or at most like a forty minute special. I don't even think it would be forty minutes. Like give uh, it a, if, if if you I feel the love plot is integral enough to it to the film to like justify keeping most of that, even if it's not necessarily great. You could cut a third of that out. Maybe, maybe, maybe you could cut a couple scenes of it. Sure. I I just I don't know I. This the the plot's very basic. Oh yeah, it's it's pretty thin. <laughs> so we continue with with the love plot after the whole food thing, and part of the love plot is actually connected to the food thing. Which I mean, props to them trying to give it a reason. What it is yeah. is our antagonistic love interest takes the girl to eat, and that's where they grow their bond in air quotes. I'll say this. Hikama does have some pretty good flirtatious one-liners. He does. He does. I fo- they were li- I thought it was r- really funny. Like, your smile is the best dish for me. Yeah. That <laughs> had me laughing. <laughs> I'm f- doesn't he end up saying you eating is an is a feast for my eyes? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> And, and, and even she gets weirded out by that at a certain point. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> dude. But my favorite thing from this, I, I, I think for the most part, I mean, minus the comedy there, it's kind of boring. But on their second meal together, our main character shows up to ruin the meal. Yeah. But... And I don't know if you caught this. Before that, he's talking to one of the workers at the restaurant. Yeah. And the worker is none other than Minoru Kawasaki in his infamous Dene shirt. Really? Yes. I, I So when you look up Minoru Kawasaki on the internet, on Google, the image that I think about when I hear Minoru Kawasaki is him, like, waving his hand, smiling with this blue what looks like a Hawaiian shirt on. Yeah. That shirt is lightning bolts, the Denace logo and Denace's head. And that's the shirt he's wearing in the movie as he's like, this is the restaurant. It's very, it's very much a blink and you'll miss it moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that was my favorite thing was seeing the Kawasaki cameo. And with it, I didn't even pick up on that at all. <laughs> I I was so happy, and it's your Denise cameo for the movie, because mm. typically uh, Kawasaki tries to have Denise cameo in everything he does. Yeah, I I don't think I found it in Calamari Wrestler or Kaiju Mono though. Mm. I'd have to go back and rewatch it see if I could locate it. Yeah. But there's usually there's like a poster or like a figure or something in the movie. In my notes here, because after the Kawasaki cameo, it gets back to your love, your love triangle, right? Yeah. 
and I was like, it's somewhat interesting, like the idea that this guy has had a crush on this girl since they were young, but he's never. It's more act- interesting than the kaiju fighting. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't. It's mm. not crucial enough for the grand plot until the final act. And in the final act, it's just kind of there. Mm. That it just it it like and even at the end, you feel like they don't even get together. Mm. They they always just feel like they're in the friend zone. And after this, we get a scene where like he's walking with her and he's like, you need to stop leading him on. You are leading him on and you're just sleeping around with him. Yeah. And she's like, where is this coming from? Like, this is out of the blue. And that's exactly what it is. It's out of the blue. <laughs> like, what? Why are you moody? Like, they're having dinner. And really nothing else is implied. Yeah. I mean, they say that he takes her home, but she leaves it at that. Like, he drops her off. Yeah. And I don't know if they're supposed to. I mean, it would maybe it would maybe make some sense with like the scene later where like he falls um, on top of her. Yeah. But, but then it's, it's quickly like shot down and she's like, yeah, it's a misunderstanding. So like nothing happens. Like he's just being moody because he's not getting the girl. Speaking of conflicts, I forgot to establish that in this in this scene at the restaurant is basically what the whole plot revolves around for the last act of this movie. And that's yeah. a bet. It's whoever can beat the monsters gets to date the girl. Yeah, I must say, I it was at this moment I'm like, this is this is a movie about two closeted gay men fighting for a woman. I admittedly thought the same thing. <laughs> there, there's a okay, scene. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. <laughs> there, the, whenever I thought it was crazy, because when 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 they when he gets up in his face, there's like this yeah. look. There's a look, and then there's something that's said afterwards, and it's like, <laughs> hmm. I feel some... Uh, there was no way there was not at least some intentional undertones there. Yeah. And the worst part is, by the end of the movie, it doesn't feel like she got with either of them. I actually have a theory for who she got with, but I'll get to that. So, oh. they they make the bet, and she's kind of like, you're objectifying... I mean, it, they really and honestly are just objectifying her at this point. Yeah. And she does <laughs> not appreciate it. And it just so happens, like, a few minutes after they, like, leave, they co- the monsters come back. And they come yeah. up with Operation Seafood Bowl, which is getting them in this giant CGI... Uh, They're sport- in, like, a sports stadium so sports that they can like, green screen the monsters there. But the funny thing is, the wide shot, like, shows, like, there's nothing, like, it's a it's a stadium like where you would play football but when they actually show up it's like a high school football field yeah which the whole scale in this sequence is just 
awful. It changes like every shot. Yes. So they're successful using the vinegar. So they combine both of our male love interest plans into one, which is yeah. bad because one of them has to win. And that causes a problem. So it works. And like, but before it works, they, they are planning and whatnot. And so our main character, he has to go take a shower because he's been working on this project nonstop. By the way, in case it isn't obvious, time does not flow properly through this movie. Yeah. It, it jumps. I don't even know, like, is this like three days worth of stuff or is this like a month? Well, yeah, at the, the end, news, the news sections don't help with matters either, I think. No, because it, it kind of jumps around. Um, it's obvious the news sections, at least some of them, are a year later. And mm -hmm. then at the very end, it establishes that it, it jumps ahead a month. But past that, like it, it could be three days, it could be a week, it could be a month. I don't know. It doesn't establish anything. Mm. So they figure out the plan. It works. While like prepping for the plan, we get a misunderstanding between our two love interests. Uh, our main character thinks that the other is violating our female character, which is not. He was trying to be helpful and fell yeah. on top of her. She stops the fight, but before she stops it, our main character gets like three punches in and like that's enough to tick off our our antagonist and this is where we find out that uh well we find out during the restaurant sequence that he's the one that swiped the three uh sacrifices and set up z yeah. and made them grow to large proportions and that's how we had the vinegar gun so quickly and all that but like nobody cares like this is established, and not even the girl seems to care. It's yeah. just him. It's just both of them. And with yeah. the, the game... And then he under... later... When they do the Operation Seaball, whatever, with the vinegar guns in the stadium, he ends up hacking into like the stadium system and just sabotaging the whole thing. Yeah, and that's where we go to. Like, we set up, they, they plan everything, and then we go to the seafood bowl operation. And in that, they get the three kaiju using the vinegar guns into the stadium. And as they're about ready to blast them with their horrible green screen. Also, by this point, the crab has become the leader, and the other two just follow whatever the crab says. Yeah, which is weird. That's never established. Yeah, how it happens. yeah. It's it's kind of just a thing throughout the whole movie where sometimes the kaiju are like fighting each other, sometimes they're not. You know, but I mean, they start all off. Over the, the, the cephalopods start off fighting. The crab comes in, fights both of them, and then they kind of become the crab's like henchmen. Yeah, it's a bit weird. It's weird. It's not established. It's not like it just happens. But it's like the least of the problems of the movie, honestly. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> so the villain, who now is established to be the villain, but is like not acknowledged to be the villain, uh 
turns on the sprinklers. And I guess like he planned to do this to get back at punching at our main character, punching him. He puts seawater or salt water into the sprinklers and sprays down the three kaiju so that they can the fight. Vinegar doesn't have much of an effect. Um, and like, yeah, I, I don't know this, the whole thing with him being the antagonist, I'm like, his motivation is really flimsy. Like, I guess he just wanted attention. Was that what Because he, he talked about wanting attention and all that, and I'm like, okay. He had parental issues. God. <laughs> the the seek so here's the actual plot of Monster Seafood Wars. Monster Seafood Wars is a movie about a poor gay guy who is afraid to come out. Actually, he's not gay, he's bi. He's bisexual. Mm-hmm. He likes this guy, but he likes this girl. But it just so happens the guy also likes the girl, so he feels like he has to fight for the girl. But he also likes the guy. But they butt heads so much that he's not sure about the guy. But nobody gives him the attention that he wants because even as a child, his parents didn't care about him. Mm-hmm. So to – Change that he created monsters to be his friends because he feels like a monster. And the whole movie is about this outcast that's trying to fit in. And nobody wants wants to acknowledge. Why are you making it sound like this movie has substance? Because it does. (laughs) And at the end, he's just viewed as the bad guy. And what really is the bad guy is the government and SMAT. SMAT's a government agency. The government is taking away the power and the ability for our hero, who is painted as the villain, to have friends, to get what he wants. You see, that's wonderful, E.T., but like, giant robot. Yes, Jumbo, Jumbo Cuckoo! I love Jumbo Cook. So so our villain, like, is starting to win. And then all of a sudden, the best friend that was in the apartment stalking the girl walks out into the field. And they're like, why are you here? And he's like the coolest cat in town. And he walks up and he's like, hang on, I got this. I got you guys. He presses his PS5 control button. And then from his building comes Jumbo Cook, who is yes. a giant robotic cook that looks strangely like Giant Robo from Johnny Sacco. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm here for it. He flies to the stadium and he kicks butt until yep. our villain decides trying to hack into his mainframe and succeeds, and then the crab cuts off Jumbo Cook's arm. But then... Yeah. The arm flies and crushes the villain. Mm. Coincidence, right? He's dead. He's dead. Dead. Yes. No, there's no catch to that or anything. There's nope. no way he could have survived. No way he could have survived. He got crushed. Yes. Both in his heart because he was an outcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So... Um. 
this is where we find out that Jumbo Cook has the power of plot convenience. Where yeah, he, he just pulls out like a knife. Like Gypsy Danger. Yeah, essentially, I guess. Yes, <laughs> he does. It's a bit, it's a bit later. Um, it's a bit... And I'm trying to remember what what's the power called? Japan. It's, it's like giant Japanese knife or something. Yes, giant Japanese knife. And then he flies up into the sky. Well, before, spins around. Before he does that, his 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 color timer. His color timer activates. starts ble- uh, beeping. Yeah. And then we find I what out what they're referencing. So we get our final Ultraman reference. Well, no, there's one more Ultraman reference. We get that reference, and they're like, "We're we're go- we got this." He's going to fly up. He flies up, and he comes back down, spinning, and slices all of our seafood monsters to bits, just cutting yeah. off their arms, actually. And they fall to yeah. the ground, and he wins. And this is when we get the Ultraman Jack uh, sundown shot. Which is really nice callback. I love seeing the like sunset like shot with Jumbo Cook. I thought that was really cool. I like that. I love that mm-hmm. cinematography in the uh, Return of Ultraman episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, Return of Ultraman isn't the only show to have sundown. True, but Return <laughs> of Ultraman did it the best. Return of Ultraman has so many good shots. It's the best shot Ultra series from the Showa era. Well, that we can agree on. Yes. So from there, we get the conclusion. Everybody's happy. We've won. And then we get and- the pro the epilogue, which is our main character, his best friend, and the love interest who definitely friend-zoned him, <laughs> going to make a final sacrifice. Or not a final sacrifice, an- another sacrifice to the shrine. Yeah, they're just, they're getting more offering yes. uh, animals. And they bring a lobster, a sea urchin, and two blobfish. Also, the not two blobfish, globefish. Oof, oops. Yeah, I mean, be... what's the difference? Actually, a blobfish I mean, is cool. Yeah, a blobfish looks completely different. <laughs> yeah, a, blo- a blobfish looks like Brendan Fraser from The Whale. <laughs> it's true. You look it up. It's it. They look similar. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's not to me to be rude in any way. It's just true. I mean, to be fair, that infamous photo of a blobfish is a dead blobfish or dying blobfish, to be fair. Yeah, I know. They don't quite look like that. Rest in but peace, whatever. Blobby. So, whatever. This monk says that the priest is ill. Yeah, the priest who I'm pretty sure was Yuta's dad? No. Yuta's dad is, is the cook for Smat. Yuta's dad is a sushi cook who's like one of the yeah. best in the business. The, the, priest, sure, the priest is I'm just... i sure the guy they were looking for was his dad. <laughs> no, no. It was just the priest. Whatever. Whatever. So, the priest is sick and the monk takes the offerings yeah the monk whose face is hmm, covered conveniently hidden yes also this is where my theory comes in so the bet was whoever defeated the three kaiju would get 
the girl's ability to date would get the girl. <laughs> so way to word it, but yes. So neither of them did. It was actually the best friend. And I feel like the best friend who did have a crush on her as well ended up getting with the girl. Because both her and him, the best friend, team up on our main character in kind of a flirty way on how he's a child as they're like picking on him. So my theory is he actually got the girl and everybody else failed. So props to the dude that used his fifth sense awakening to defeat the <laughs> kaiju. And for anybody that hasn't seen the movie, the fifth, fifth sense awakening is he oh puts God. on a blindfold and is able and to... It, and just has... It's just suddenly an immaculate fighter. Yes. In video games and with giant robots... Yes, because those obviously... Because those are the up. same thing. Yes, yes. Because, like, he uses a, a gaming controller. He uses, the, as you called it, the PS5 controller. Wait, I meant PS4. I'm pretty sure it's a PS4. It's a PlayStation controller. It's, it's not. It's, it's not? Neither. It's neither. What is it? <laughs> it's just, like, a controller that looks similar in shape to like an xbox or playstation controller <laughs> well it's but, one of them he plays three he plays a second Tekken game earlier on yeah so then they walk away everything's hunky-dory and then we get to see that the priest is tied up and Ooh. and we get some amazing callbacks to ultraman lighting with our villains in dark blue and this is where we find out that the villain Hickam is alive. Survived. Somehow. And, yes. Yeah, somehow. No injuries. And I mean, it would have been cool if he had an eye patch or something or like a scar. Yeah, it would have made sense given they were hiding his face as well. Yeah, but yeah. whatever. I guess we can't afford the makeup budget. No, we couldn't. <laughs> so then it's heavily implied that he's going to use setup Z to create a lobster to globfish. Yeah. And a sea urchin as the next kaiju. Yeah. So maybe there'll be a sequel. I mean it'll probably it'll probably go the kaiju mono route of getting a sequel in manga form. Actually speaking of manga form, it did get a manga adaptation prior to the film's release. Oh yeah. It was by uh Nobuyuki Horio Horino. Huh. But I it's I, I read the um I was reading up on uh, the monster designer on this film, and he was actually the one who wrote um, the Kaiju Mono sequel manga. Really? Yeah, Reijiro Kato. Huh. He also worked on the designs for uh, Planet Prince 2021 and Super Legend God Hikosa. And Super God Hikosa, yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that, we've, we've covered the plot, and we've talked a bit about the production yeah so oh, and we should also mention that they did try putting setup z into real world usage but, yes but it's the damn mosquitoes that have to ruin it for everyone yes so people started ended they started being mummified which we found out was because they were putting uh setup z in cows right something like that and then the mosquitoes would feed on, feed on them, and and would 
receive the effects of setup X or Z, sorry. So <laughs> I'm gonna, not going to lie. When this like television thing was going on, I was really hoping that as he's telling this, like, they would show it? Yeah, like a giant mosquito would just fly in. I was hoping they would show it, and I'm and I'm still disappointed that they didn't. N- that but at the same been... time, I do think it's hilarious no matter what. I, I think that's legitimately a, f- a funny a funny way to like sort of conclude that little bit with setup Z and its usage. I agree. And that's it. Then we get yep. the, the theme song and the credits which is you know kawasaki always has a theme song with his credits yeah so with that that's the end of monster seafood wars a film that was shot in 2019 summer of 2019 i should establish um Mm. on a budget of 20 million yen which is about roughly i think two thousand dollars $20,000? $20,000? I think it's $20,000. Million, uh, 20 million yen, you said? Yes, 20 million yen. I mean, it depends on... What's this? This would have been... This would have been 2020. So... What it would be now is roughly about... In US dollars is about... $150,000 now, but it would have been more back when the film was produced because um, the Japanese yen has sunk completely to the US dollar. Right. at So June 12th, so a few days after the film's release, the Japanese yen was worth 0. 0.0093 uh, yeah. to the Whereas dollar. Whereas now it's 0. 0.076 to the US dollar. So is there a way I can adjust? So it would them? be rough. It would probably roughly be around like seventeen, eighteen ish million. Or no, not million, sorry. Um like somewhere around like one hundred and seventy, one hundred and eighty thousand, I believe. Maybe even two two hundred thousand at most. At uh, absolute most. Close. It was one hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. Roughly. Okay. So almost okay. Almost a million dollars. Not quite, but not too far. <laughs> yeah. Right? No. No, it's it's way off. I don't know. I don't think that's how counting works. No, but, you it's, know. it's not. It's not. Almost two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So Man, that's better. That's yeah. better. Now, now you can learn your ABCs. A B Z. Oh. Right. Wonderful. Yeah, it, it's low budget, very clearly, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, but let me check here. So, is it the lowest budget out of the films we've covered so far for Kawasaki Month? Or that's what I'm trying to check. I'm trying to, to see... me. It it definitely felt like it. But I so my theory is Kaiju Mono is Kawasaki's biggest budgeted. Probably. Either that or World Sinks 
I, I'd say in order of like lowest to biggest budget, I'd say probably Monster Seafood Wars or Calamari. Re- mm, I think I'd say Monster Seafood Wars because Calamari Wrestler. It feels like there is some budget there. Um, I'm not sure. I would imagine that. So, like I've said, my theory is Kaiju Mono is his highest budgeted film, and then mm-hmm. I am. I I wouldn't be surprised if monster seafood i here's the sad thing i think monster seafood wars is out of the four we've covered this month i think it's his second highest budgeted i really do what i really do no 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 way no so calamari wrestler maybe maybe world sinks except japan surely that has a i don't think it does i feel like that film is a lot smaller and has a, like smaller names. I I genuinely yeah, think does Because like, I mean, that film had like Hiroshi Fujioka in it. it. Had a few other stars. I mean, this film doesn't really have as many. Oh, I guess it does have the two lead actors. Actually, now that I think of it. Because mm-hmm. uh, because like. The lead actor is a decently well-known Japanese actor, and then the other one's like a singer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay, maybe. And so I this is a perfect segue into my favorite thing to do is the cast. <laughs> um, you did have uh, Hidei uh, Fukumoto, who was in two previous Kawasaki films, Earth Defense Widow and Monster X Strikes Back. You had mm. uh, Ryo... Kinemoto, who was in Ultraman Tiga and Ultraman Dia the movie, Dina the movie. He was also in Ultraman Dina, Ultraman the Next, Superior Ultra 8 Brothers. Ultraman oh, this is Kinemoto? Oh, yeah, he was the captain in this. Yes. Superior yeah. Ultra 8 Brothers, Ultraman Saga, Orb, and uh, Tokuger. I believe that's the Sentai. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, the train Sentai. <laughs> you had Key Grant who was the narrator for uh, Junken Sentai Gen- Genki Ranger? Geki Ranger? Geki Ranger. Geki Ranger. He was the narrator for the movie and that television show. Um, okay. We had Misami Horiyuchi, who... Uh, he was he was like the Men in Black dude from Ultraman Nexus. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him. He was in... Uh, so he was in Earth Defense Widow. Iichi uh, Kikuchi was... Yeah, he's been in, like, about three of the films that we've covered. Yeah, he was in Kaiju Mono and The World Sinks Except Japan. Uh, yeah. He was in various Ultraman... He was in Planet Prince 2021 as well. He's been in a few uh, Sentai shows. He was in the original Zamborgar show. He's in been in tons of Ultraman stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh He's been even in some uh, Common Rider Black RX and some uh, Metal Hero shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he might have actually been in all of the films we covered. Uh, I don't think so. I've got Executive Koala, Planet Prince 2021, Kaiju Mono, Outer Man, Ultraman, uh, Monster X Strikes Back. And- oh, well. That's all I've got. You also have uh, Yasuhiro uh, Takeda, 
who was in Hideaki Anno's Return of Ultraman. He was mm-hmm. also the producer of that. Um, you had Yoshiniro Tanaka, who was in Nezara 1964, Ghost Cat Rhapsody, and the upcoming Hoshi 35. A.G. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukulele, who was in Kaiju Mono and Planet Prince 2021. Uh, Teruyumi Yoshida, who was in Godzilla 2000, Sky High, 20th Century Boys 3 Redemption, and Planet Prince 2021. And then yeah. we had right, the returning writer... Masakuzu Megita, Megita, who yeah. wrote Death Kappa, uh, The World Sinks Except Japan, and The Calamari Wrestler. So if you want to yeah. hear all of his credits, I've listed them off quite literally the for the last month. And even and we got A.G. Tsuburaya as original writer. <laughs> who everybody knows as the father of Godzilla, the father of Ultraman, and the pioneer yeah. of Tokusatsu special effects in Japan. Yeah. So quite quite the cast. A lot of people though in this cast didn't have a lot of Tokusatsu credits, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um only about I would say a quarter of the cast has Tokusatsu credits. Mm. So that was different compared to a lot of his other works that have it almost feels like glorified cameos for their yeah for their cast. So with this, we have covered four Kawasaki films that are available stateside for people to watch. Mm. Um as I mentioned last time, hopefully next April we can cover more. Um we have Executive Koala, The Rug Cop, Monster X Strikes Back, Attack of the G8 Summit, Super Legend God Hikoza, um, and I think, is that it? I think that's it as of currently that we we could cover um, mm-hmm. unless SRS or Synapse or somebody releases more Kawasaki. Um, yeah. There's plenty. You have Pussy Soup. You have Kabuto O'Beetle. You have Goalkeeper Crab. You have Donkey Man. You have Planet Prince 2021. UFO Next Door is the film he's currently developing. Um, you've got plenty of Kawasaki yeah. left. So with this, I feel like we should do what we do when we have our themed months and kind of give a ranking. But before we give a ranking, Rex... I want to know because before this month you had never watched a Kawasaki film. You've only heard me talk about him. Mm-hmm. After this month, what are your thoughts on Minoru Kawasaki? I don't know. He's he's an interesting, eccentric director, but I feel a, I feel a bit too much of not quite a formula per se, but I feel like his films seem to repeat a lot of ideas, Mm -hmm. which I don't know how, maybe it'd be better if I'm not watching them all like one after another, pretty much. Um, Maybe it'd work a bit better, but like, you know, I haven't seen Monster X Strikes Back, but from what I know of that film's plot, it's very, there's sequences that are just taken straight out of like the world sinks except Japan, like with, the whole North Korean leader gag. Yes. Essentially being taken one for one. 
I mean, all his films seem to have a love plot so far that I've seen. Uh, the monsters in Monster Seafood Wars seem to essentially be based on, uh, in, in design-wise, based on, like, Calamari Wrestler's uh, titular character, the Squid Man from Calamari Wrestler, and Canilla, I think, looks to be insp- looks to be made in the style of uh, his Goalkeeper Crab character, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think he's an interesting director, um, but I feel his films have also suffered a lot of the same issues as one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> See, so I'm going to just be honest with you. Bar calamari wrestler, I am not a fan of the film or in world sinks except japan i think Mm -hmm. i i i said this i'm pretty sure in the discord server the other day but kawasaki's kaiju films seem to be his weakest films yeah so far at least yeah um i think i mean i if you want to hear me talk positively like go listen to my review on world sinks except japan because that movie is very smart for what is supposed to be a dumb movie. Mm-hmm. And it's quite refreshing to see a movie of of that that sells itself I think short of what it is um mm-hmm. do so well. Yeah. And I think Calamari Wrestler uh minus the love plot I think is a very interesting and well done movie. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed Calamari Wrestler and World Sinks except Japan. Kaiju Mono and Monster Seafood Wars had had their moments, but I I just too long for me, too too padded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like he's kind of just following I mean I said this during our Death Kappa episode and I said it for a reason. Following Death Kappa, it seemed like every kaiju movie that was kind of... I mean, they're all by the same writer, which I think is clearly the problem. But they all follow a similar plot. And they all have the same problems. Yeah. And that is what caused... Like, that's what kind of messes up the movie for me. Mm Mm-hmm. There's it there's one title that we could have covered that we didn't that I very much think is well done. Um mm-hmm. I'm not going to reveal it just because if we do do another wow. Kawasaki month, I want that one to wow. be Wow, you're going to you're going to leave me in the dark like this. I will. Wow. I will. Wow. Okay, man. Whatever. But I I think Kawasaki has great ideas. Oh, uh, th- yeah. He is undoubtedly one of the most Japanese directors you could have. Mm-hmm. He has insane ideas, and he embraces those ideas, and even if they're goofy, he, he works with it. The problem is Kawasaki is not a kaiju director to me. Kawasaki is a kaijin director Mm -hmm. he could do some crazy stuff and i'm happy in recent years he's been adapting 
Henshin. He did Moonlight yeah. Mask. He did Planet Prince. And it kind of felt like he did like a common Rider Kikaida with Super Legend God Hikoza. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think Super Legend God uh, Hikoza's a pretty weak film. Um, I I want Kawasaki to do more of the goofy stuff that's not kaiju. Mm-hmm. Because I think... I think with Death Kappa, which wasn't even a Kawasaki film, you hit basically everything you needed for a parody of kaiju films. And since yeah. then, everything just becomes repetitive. Mm. Which is why I think I find issue with Kaiju Mono and Monster Seafood Wars. I would like to see Earth Defense Widow and Outer Man because I I would like to think those don't follow the formula. Maybe they establish it. Mm. But, you know, Kawasaki has a lot to bring to the world of tokusatsu. And not in the same concept as like Hideaki Anno. Kawasaki's not creating waves of brand new concepts brand new ideas kawasaki is holding true to classic tokusatsu blended with modern effects but he's also embracing the insanity that you can have the fact mm-hmm. you have a movie about a tanuki that runs for that's the president of a com- company is like you wouldn't expect that but that's what that's what he does he does that mm-hmm. and he has fun and at least you can see that in his movies. He has fun. Oh, yeah. And that is something that I think some people have lost sight of, is having fun with movies, whether you're making them or watching them. And if you're not looking at them, because we, we've been looking at them very critically. But if you just look mm. at them as like a summer afternoon watch, I think they... They they do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, and I think they would work better with time apart from each other rather than watching in like a marathon. Personally, mm-hmm. if you watch them together, you see Kawasakiisms. Mm-hmm. Especially at like we watched Death Kappa, and then like three weeks later, we started with Kaiju Mono. Yeah, which those are practically the same films. Like the same ideas, except mm-hmm. Death Kappa tries to cover more ground mm-hmm. and does so with the f- FX director helming it, who's seasoned. Yeah. But I, I definitely would say I reco- I, I do recommend Kawasaki films to anybody. If, if mm-hmm. you want to watch them, go for it. But I think if you want to get into cult Japanese cinema, I definitely think he's one director you. You should check out. He's like the Roger Corman of Japan. I suppose. <laughs> he he has low-budget films and they're crazy ideas, but they're funny and they work. Mm. Either that or the Lloyd Kaufman, maybe. Maybe. So overall, I'm happy I'm I'm thrilled that we were able to do this. And I'm even more mm. happy that I could introduce you to a director, even if we picked maybe his not so good films. <laughs> But with that being said, I think now is a perfect time to give our ratings for our 
personal rankings of these Ooh. four Kawasaki films. And since Rex, you are the co-host and this was your first time watching Kawasaki, I would love it if you went first. Okay. Hmm. See, I feel it's close between Monster Seafood Wars and Kaiju Mono. But maybe it's just maybe it helps that I saw Kaiju Mono first, but I think I'm going to put Monster Seafood Wars at the bottom, so number four. Kaiju Mono at three. And then probably World Sinks Except Japan at number two. Calamari Wrestler at number one. Hmm. Do you want to explain that a little bit? So... World Sinks Except Japan, I think, is the most interesting to talk about out of the four films. Um, Kaiju Mono, I think, is almost okay. I think it's almost okay. It's just too long, not funny enough. Um, t- trying too hard to be funny. Um, Calamari Wrestler, I think, is his most fun enjoyable and i guess well-rounded i guess would be the word i'm looking for Mm -hmm. of of all his films that i've seen thus far gotcha okay plus it had that moment of the guy get of of the calamari wrestler getting jumped (laughs) so like you know that that kind of helps put it up at least above kaiju mono and uh uh, Monster Seafood Wars, easily. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> so, I actually have a completely different list than you. Really? So, at number four, I would put Kaiju Mono. I just think the film is so bland. Yeah. And it just feels like a glorified fan service cameo selection i i don't feel like there's a lot going on in it or a lot to make it worth me watching again upon my rewatch i think i, lo- I so i'm going to establish this now rewatching these kawasaki films for the podcast has made me completely change my opinion of some of these movies really yes um initially i was like yeah these are all pretty good but now I, I, going back and watching them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not good. That's better than I thought, and that's kind of not good. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kaiju Mono just, it was so bland and unfunny, and I just sat there, and I just, I, I don't know, I, I think I was bored. I think I was mm-hmm. bored with it. Yeah. And for a film that looks more professional than the rest, it's kind of hard to give it that, well, it's an independent film kind of yeah. throwaway because it, it looks the most professional. Yeah. It looks the most professional. But following that, I would put Monster Seafood Wars at number three. Mm-hmm. I think the film has a lot. I, I like the reference. Jumbo Cook. Like, I, I love Jumbo Cook. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. He's so stupid. I would stupid. like him more if he wasn't shown on a green screen. I agree with that. It's just something about him. It's just like that is that that design. He's so funny. I, I just 
I would. I, I would, do think he is a highlight of the film. I just wish he wasn't shown entirely on a green screen. If we had a mini series of Jumbo Cook adventures, like six episodes, Jumbo Cook meets Dennis. I would love it. I would love that. Like, I think that stuff is great. I think Jumbo Cook is a great character, and him alone makes me like Monster Seafood Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, when I watched the movie the first time, I was just in like I was so surprised. I was just flabbergasted that this giant cook named Jumbo Cook that's a robot that looks like the giant robo just appeared. I was like. What? I was so surprised, but I was like, I'm here for it. It's kind of like your Calamari Wrestler jumped moment. Like seeing Jumbo Cook for the first time just threw me off so much mm-hmm. that I loved it. It was perfect. Yeah. Coming in at number two, I would put the Calamari Wrestler. I think that is a class. I mean, it's Kawasaki's first theatrical film. And I think mm-hmm. he did a great job. I think it's a solid film. Like, the budget doesn't show. It has an interesting story. And I just, I enjoyed it. And I, it, it was, it's different enough from the rest of his work that it feels more serious than a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. And coming in at number one, which this was the thing that I was shocked by the most, the world sinks except Japan. Mm-hmm. Until we did the podcast episode, it probably would be three or two. I, yeah. I my initial like before the podcast, I would do probably I probably would have done Calamari Wrestler, Kaiju Mono, Monster Seafood Wars, World Sinks except Japan. Mm-hmm. But. Upon rewatching World Sinks Except Japan, I discovered that that film has so much of a voice and so much thought put in that I mm. have just I, I appreciate the film more than any other um, that's been put out. It just was so interesting, and the the themes and the thoughts that it it covered was so it was a welcomed film. I I am so happy I got to rewatch that film and. And I put on my knowledge cap and my thinking cap, and and I got to understand that movie better. So my my opinions of Kawasaki have changed greatly, um, for the better, I would say as well. And mm-hmm. I I can't wait till we cover the rest of his filmography because maybe I I'll have the same awakening, the same like rediscovery of some of these films. Yeah. And and that's why I would recommend people. If you haven't already watched these films, if you like Kaiju, watch his other stuff, watch Kawasaki's uh, filmography. It's not hard to get them for the most part. And there's so much he adds to the Tokusatsu world when it comes to independent stuff that I, I think it's definitely worth worth a watch. And it's not just your typical parody stuff, and that's what I appreciate. Yeah. Well, with that, we have concluded Kawasaki Month. Um, a huge thanks to everybody who has stuck it out with us to watch these films and, and listen to us talk about them. Um, 
I feel like we've covered them pretty well. Like we 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 took each of these films and talked about them greatly. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, I think we're going to wrap things up here. Um, Rex, why don't you let the lovely people at home know where they can find you at? Oh, well, my beautiful listeners, if you guys want to find me, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. Definitely give Rex uh, a check out. He edits these episodes, and this month he's been put to the test. And just, just I, I don't want to reveal too much, but let's just say for the next uh, month or so, he he will be once again put to the test. God help me. <laughs> but as for me, you can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions, on Twitter at ET13 Productions, or on Instagram at ET13 Productions. If you want to find my personal accounts, I'm not going to link them, but it's not hard to find them. You just got to know where to look. If you'd like to read my writings, definitely check out my work on Kaiju Ramen Media. Go to kaijuramenmedia.com. You can read some articles I wrote. I wrote the first English article on President Tanuki, uh, whenever that film was announced. Congratulations. Thank you. Or you can purchase some of the issues of Kaiju Ramen Magazine, where I have uh, put in my own input. I've wrote about Daimajin, animated Godzilla, um, Godzilla versus Kong, just the history of them. Uh, I have a King Kong article coming up. And I have a few other articles in, in those magazines that you could definitely check out and give a read. Maybe maybe I should do a Minoru Kawasaki article one day. S- show the man some love. Mm. But beyond supporting us personally, you can also support the podcast. And I'm going to let you know how you can do that so we can do even better. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We are currently sitting at a 3.1 out of 5 star rating with 23 ratings. We did get a review bomb. We have quite a few 1 stars, so if somebody could help us out and leave us some 5 star reviews, not on alternate accounts, but like leave us some 5 star reviews, our listeners, that would be much appreciated. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't kind of not really that's a lie that's a lie i do all my podcasting on a macbook pro you can rate us on spotify now and you can leave us feedback that way if you want to stay up to date with all things kaiju conversation related you can tweet us and follow us on twitter at k-a-i-j-u underscore c-o-n-v-e-r-s if you don't have twitter you can follow us on instagram or like us on facebook If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, we have an awesome logo you can sport. If you'd like to chat with Rex or I, uh, check out our Discord server. Like I said, you can chat with us or people with similar things that they like that you like. 
Recently, we had a discussion about, in our general one chat, it looks like they talked about Kamen Rider. Uh, Kamen Rider and the 2014 Godzilla transfers. Wonderful. (laughs) It's a great community full of great people. Definitely recommend checking it out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. Sometimes we post exclusives to the channel like bloopers for episodes or minisodes, talking about news or other subjects. We also do monthly live streams, Kaiju Conversation Live. We do have uh, one of those coming very soon. Uh, I can't reveal the guest quite yet, but expect it. I mean, when you guys listen to this... It'll already happen, but definitely check out our YouTube channel. We do have those monthly live streams that go on for about five hours. So definitely recommend it. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kuchevsky on the channel, and I probably butchered his last name. I apologize. A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the content we upload as we mentioned his links can be found in the description below. Please go support him. Rex does a lot. I do. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So a huge thanks to you guys for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just a lot of big now, baby. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.